and welcome back to the High Vibe Alchemist podcast. My name is Tony, and I'm your host. I believe that sharing your story can be a powerful healing tool for both you and those who listen to you. In my ongoing journey to blend systems with wellness, this platform holds space for the exploration of all things related to that journey. Sounds interesting? Well, welcome in. Today, I'm very excited to share this beautiful conversation with two of my amazing friends that I truly consider sisters, Sorel and Brittany. Following my chats with two birthing doulas earlier this season, shout out to Sasha and Zoe, I felt called to hold space for my two sisters that just went through this experience. I don't believe we give enough platform for the various stories of motherhood, new mothers, and especially black mothers, as well as mothers of color. It was illuminating to see the echoes of the experiences of both Sasha and Zoe as doulas and nurses in the stories of my friends as patients. It also confirmed to me, and should for all of us as we listen, that these are not just off-chance experiences. This is the average experience of concern for Black and Brown mothers. None of it is okay. We also talk about the transition from maiden to mother. I have love for Dr. Pinkola Estes and her book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, as she transcribes stories of the journeys of each of these two archetypes and some of the wisdom from traveling from one to the other. I wanted to get Brittany and Sorrell's take on what they have been experiencing so far. We end on a beautiful moment, a time capsule of sorts for each of their new gifts, Prince and Calum, who will look back on this time and think, what in the actual bleep? We wanted to give them some words of encouragement to let them know that they are from pure love and are loved now and always. So trigger warning, we are going to be talking about birth and the birthing process, the highs and lows of motherhood, so disclaimer is given here and now. Otherwise, grab some tea and a seat and let's dive in. Hey! Hey! Hi, my love. Sorrel, oh you're here. Hi, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. Okay. So yeah, let's start first with um, just telling us a little bit about each of you. So Sorrel, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself in your background and um, when you actually gave birth, and then we'll switch to you, Britt. Sure. Yeah, so I'm Sorrel. I am essentially a software engineer. I work for a financial company in uh, Jersey City, New Jersey now, um, but working from home due to the pandemic. Um, and that's pretty much what I've been doing. I've been a software engineer since I graduated from college. I gave birth December 13th, 2019. Uh, my original due date was the 18th, um, but he came early, which isn't usually common for first-time mothers, but um, he had other plans, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> me, I'm from New Jersey, live in New Jersey now, uh, moved here with my husband a few years ago, um, bought a place, and then, you know, I always wanted to be a mother. Um, once we got married, it was kind of like, why not? Let's just go ahead. At first, I thought we would wait a bit, but I am, how old am I? I always forget. Once you get to a certain right? point, I just Once forget you get to how old I am. Like, whatever. <laughs> right? It's like, wait, how old am I? Um, I'm 35. Okay. And um, it was like, all right, at some point, you know, you decide how many kids do you want. I remember mm. going to a doctor's appointment mm. and 
I had asked, you know, what do you think about freezing? What do you think about, um, you know, having a baby? She's like, well, it depends how many you want. So um, I always wanted to have more than one child, but we'll see what happens. I don't know. Um, and we just decided to try because we didn't know how long it would take um, for me to be able to even have a kid because I had never been pregnant before. All right, Britt, over to you. Um, I'm Britt, and I am originally from Los Angeles. I moved to Jersey when I was in high school and went to high school there and then um, went to Morgan State my freshman year of college and then transferred to Syracuse where I met Sorrell and we became best buds. For a living, I, for the majority of my career, was a freelance television editor. Um, I started off the way most people do in entertainment, like getting coffee, scheduling, you know, my boss's lunches and shopping for talent and stuff like that. And then just kind of slowly worked my way up um, through the post-production ranks as a digitizer, then an assistant editor, then a junior editor, then a full-time editor. About four years ago, I transitioned to um, being an audio producer. I opened up a podcast recording studio in downtown Newark, New Jersey, where I live, called um, Newark.fm. And I am a essentially an audio producer for a very large um, content streamer that is also based in Newark. I have been married for five years this Friday or this oh Saturday, God. which is so crazy. <laughs> I can't believe it's been five I years can't. already. I remember um, being at your wedding, like both of your weddings. Like, oh my God. No, literally before I got on this, I was working out and I was thinking about like the day or two mm. before my wedding when I came to Clarkson right. and we like had the last, last talk about everything. Cause for Tony's audience, Tony was like a huge part of the decorations of my wedding or sister designed my dress. Yeah, it, was it was a family definitely. affair, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it'll be five years on um, Saturday. And yeah, when we got married, I guess like in the abstract, I've always thought that I would be a mom, but my job was very precarious because I was working, like I said, freelance and I didn't have healthcare. I hadn't, I hadn't had healthcare since whenever they kick you off your right. parents' healthcare, which I think is like 26 or 27. Um, and I would go from job to job. Like <laughs> when RJ, my husband, like, learned what I do he was like wait so a show will end and then you just won't have a job <laughs> and I was like yep until I go on to a next show and so I never really felt like I had the security to like make a decision where I could where I feel comfortable bringing a kid into the world RJ is a guidance counselor and a teacher so he has like a very stable job with the pension and benefits and he's been doing it since he graduated so he has tenure but I wanted for myself like that level of security before I for brought sure. a kid into the world and so um when I started working at Audible I was on a contract again another freelance contract and worked that contract left and um my boss who was my boss at my first contract got promoted to like the vice president of original content in my company called me out of nowhere and was like, do you want to come back to audible? I have like a producer's job and I would 
really like <laughs> love your help. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I went back to Audible on another contract that turned into a full-time salaried position. And that was last year, uh, basically this time last year. And so I had, you know, a good salary and benefits. And after all that happened, I was like, okay, I'm ready. Like if we get pregnant this year, I feel like right. I'm ready to do that. My delivery date was um, May 7th and then he was born on May 8th. So how are you guys doing with the whole child rearing while you're working from home and we're in the middle of quarantine? Just tell us like, are you guys okay? Like, what? how do you feel about this whole situation? So I worked up right up until my um, maternity leave. So literally the day before I gave, I, I went to the hospital um, was my last day. So I went to the hospital on May 7th, May 6th was my last okay. day. And so at that point I had been working from home for about two months. And then during that time, is when they started saying like, you're not gonna be able to have family at the hospital for a time. There was a question of whether or not RJ would even be able to be at the hospital, which was like very crazy, very stressful to even think about. I don't know what I would have done right. like alone in the hospital giving birth during this time. Um, but luckily he was able to come, but all the you know appointments up until that point, he had been with me and a certain at a certain point, they were like, yeah, he can't come anymore. And so you're going to these late stage uh, pregnancy checkups alone, um, which, you know, is not how we yeah. how I planned anything. Yeah. I went on May 7th. They I was induced and um, I honestly like did not feel anything. I was like, as soon as they offered the epidural I was like yes <laughs> put it in me stick it in me <laughs> I took it and uh or they you know hooked it up into my back and from that point I was just laying in the bed not feeling but really I did not feel anything from like the wow. waist down and it took forever for me to start dilating and so I went we went to the hospital May 7th at like 8 p.m and I didn't give birth until the following day at 9 p.m. And because my family wasn't there, RG, RJ's like texting our moms, like she's how this much dilated. She's this much dilated, like giving them reports. Like the news broadcaster, that's funny. Fine, yes, and then finally like the doctor came in, she was like, I forget what it is. I think you need to be 10, 10, yeah, centimeters. 10, centimeters. 10 centimeters dilated. And I finally was that and then pushed, I think for about, 45 what? minutes to an hour. Um, I did not feel anything like at all. And they're like, you're doing so good. I'm like, great. Cause I can't feel <laughs> what's, wow. what's going on. And so literally until he came out and that was just like, oh my God, I've like burst into tears. Like his whole bloody body was all <laughs> over my face. All over. <laughs> RJ picked him up and it was just, the best like i i honestly like i can't even oh articulate God. the feeling but um yeah the next day uh is when the epidural started to wear off and then i started to feel whatever i had been doing Ooh. for those 45 minutes an hour and it was is very very painful but i had a a uh, a difficult two weeks post pregnancy oh, we brought him home on Mother's Day and my family came and we literally like had to show him the uh, prints, my son, 
through our back porch window. It was like the saddest thing. And then I just remember my mom walking away and I was like, I'll I'll call you later. And she like literally couldn't even say goodbye because she had tears and she didn't want me to see her crying, but she left and I just burst into tears. And I don't know, I hadn't, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to have the same, like have my mom there at the hospital and have her in the house. But Mm -hmm. until it actually happened, I was, I, it did not hit me until like we actually brought him home. So Sorrel, what about you? It was so, um, like I said, my due date was originally December 18th Mm. and I was always told, oh, your first one, you'll be late. So I'll say December 11th, I was in his room folding stuff, which I say is a sign because you're cleaning up. But I don't see how that's a sign because you're getting ready for the baby anyway. So it's like, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, everybody's cleaning before. Like, what are you talking about? Anyway, so um, I started to feel pains, but I thought it was just normal because it was my third trimester. You know, I've never had a baby before and I had read you know, oh, you know, you start to feel like little shocks here and there. But then I started to feel more intense pains on and off. But I still was like, this is probably fine. I went to bed the night of the 11th and woke up in the middle of the night um, and had bleeding. So I was like, okay, that's fun. I called my doctor and she said, oh, it's normal. Like a little bit of spotting You're in your third trimester. So I was like, okay, continue to go to sleep. Woke up the next morning. Um, I had already started working from home. So my job um, allowed me to start working from home about three weeks before my scheduled due date. So mm. I was al- already home from then. Um, December 12th, the morning of, I had some more bleeding. I had called my doctor. Um, I think I couldn't get in contact with them because it was out of the hours or something like that. And had left a message with some line and they're like, okay, we'll let your doctor know. We'll get back to you. Can, and started to do like work, was working, messaging people, doing whatever I had to do. And then I was like, you know what? Let me just call again, just to be sure. I finally got through and my doctor's like, yeah, okay, like come in. We need to see what's going on. So I went in on December 12th. My husband had already gone to work and my mom, she was working from home. So she picked me up and brought me to the hospital. Um, but I thought it was, you know, it would be fine. I had, um, gone to the hospital before a few months before, after, um, a doctor's appointment because the baby was showing an irregular heartbeat. So I was like, oh, we've done this. It's just checking. You basically get hooked up. They, they monitor you for like two hours and then you go home, which is what I thought would happen. Um, once I got to the hospital, my husband was like, oh, I'm coming. And I'm like, why are you coming? Like, nothing's happening. I'm going to be laying here for two hours, like, stay at work, blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm going to come. I'm going to leave work. I was like, all right. My mom's yes. here, but if you want to know, that's fine. You know me. I'm just like, yeah, I know eh. you, but thank you, Brandon. I know you're right. So he comes, and um, we're, I'm there, me and my mom, because obviously this is before COVID. This is in December, um, or before we knew about COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Everything seemed fine. Then all of a sudden, I just like felt something. And I think Brandon was out of the room, my husband. And I asked my mom, like, can you check? Like, I just felt something like weird happened down there. So my mom looked and I was just clotting blood. Um, Thankfully, I was at the hospital after I showed up and was like, you're having this baby. Like, 
you're not going home. And I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> I'm not done. I have so much stuff to do. Like, I need to finish the room. I need to, you know what I mean? Like, I was so scared. I started crying because I was yeah. like, I'm just not pretty. Like, and I know you. you. I must have wrote that plan, you know? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and it's, it's like, you, you're pregnant for so long. And then part of you just becomes like, oh, like, I know a baby's coming, but mm. part of you is like, oh, this is my life. Like, I'm just pregnant right. now. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this just goes on forever. Exactly. Like, you know, the baby has to come out, but I just wasn't prepared for at that moment. They had to keep checking me and keep monitoring me because I had a lot of blood that I was passing and clotting. And then eventually I got moved into a room and they started a uh, Pitocin, which kind of speeds things along a little bit, but I still had some bleeding. So the doctor had come in and said, you know, if you're still bleeding, we're going to check in another hour. And if you're still, you know, there's still issues, you're going to have a C-section in the next hour. And I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, first of oh all, I did some research on C-sections, but I didn't think I was going to have one. And then right. okay. all of a sudden it's like, you know, your mind totally flips. You're like, oh crap. Like, so now, yeah. cause I know the recoveries for C-sections are not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just all, always assumed I was going to have a vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully she came back and was like, you know what? you stopped bleeding as much as you were before. So we're going to go ahead and try vaginal. And my mom had even said to me later, like your doctor is a really good doctor because a lot of them will just go straight to C-section. Yes. Black female doctor. Thank you very much. So (laughs) you have to highlight this. (laughs) Right. So um, I had felt um, contractions. I remember the first contraction I had, I was like, wait, what is that? Cause I was talking. Then all of a sudden I just couldn't talk. Cause it was just like taking over me. And I, asked, I was like, Oh, is that a contraction? She's like, yeah, that's what I was like. Oh, okay, great. So here we go. And I always knew I was getting epidural. Like we had talked, me and Bray had talked about this. Like, every, like I wasn't going, like I had nothing to prove we're <laughs> drugged up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's cool. Like I wish I could have done naturally, but like once that pain hit me anyway, I already knew like what it was. So my doctor was leaving for that night and she was like, you know, whenever you want to take it, go ahead and you know, you can get the epidural whenever you want. The um, anesthesiologist came in just to talk to me and he's like, I'm free. So if you want it now, like, let me know, because if I get busy later, you may have to wait and you're going to have to go through it. So I was like, well, let's go. Like, hook me up. <laughs> Give it to me now. Like, I'm good with that. Because it, it it really, like, takes you, it hits you like a shock out of nowhere. Like, mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with my husband and my mom, and all of a sudden, like, I couldn't talk because I'm going through it. Ooh. And they're, of course, sitting there, like, looking at you, and you're just like, hey, this is awkward. It's also painful. Like, <laughs> like yeah, so I had the epidural, and then after that, I felt... I felt good. Like the nurse is like, you're having a contraction right now. I was like, oh, wow. Like I didn't even notice. I think I was texting like Brit and like some other people. I was like, yeah, I feel great. Like this is amazing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, it was good. And I finally like went to sleep. My mom left for the day and I went to sleep. I would say around one o'clock in the morning, I started to feel pain again. And I called the nurse in. My husband was knocked out on the pullout next to me. I was like, oh, okay, that's nice for you. And uh, I called the nurse in. And she's like, yeah, sometimes it can wear off. So they brought um, the another anesthesiologist in because they had one on call. And they topped me up. But they're like, we can't give you any more than that. 
So maybe around, I forget, maybe an hour later, I was like, oh, I'm starting to feel this again. And the nurse is like, yeah, sometimes it wears off a little bit. I'm not sure if people know, but um, the epidural has to do with gravity. So they have to position you a certain way for it to get to your pelvic area. And I know it worked for me, but I definitely felt something. You know what mm. I mean? And I feel like I felt it more in my thighs. Maybe mm. I was positioned a little wrong because that's where it started to wear off for me. The nurse came in, was like, you're nine centimeters, but even if you get to 10, we're not calling the doctor because your water hasn't broken. And I'm like, wait, everything I've read says 10 centimeters, like it's time to go. So I was just confused. Like I was starting to get back pain. I already have like a crappy back. Um, and by the time you get to your third trimester, like the baby's pushing on you. So, you know, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, so she was like, okay, maybe we'll turn you to your side. And they have like a little peanut ball they put in between your legs. So she went to get that for me. And I turned to my side, I turned to my side and all of a sudden it like something changes. And I'm like, no, like something's happening right now. This baby's coming out like now, no doctor there, me, the nurse and my husband, the nurse like gets on the phone is like, I think this baby's about to come, like bring in the table, bring in whatever. I'm like turning you. They're like, maybe we'll try turning you back. I'm holding on to the side of the bed. Like I need to push. Like, I feel like I need to push. Cause you feel, well, I felt something like I wasn't completely numb. And I felt like pressure every time after I felt pain and the nurse um, is trying to tell me like not to push, don't push, just breathe through it. And you can't like your body mm -hmm. is taking over. Your body knows what's to do. You know what I mean? Like, my body was trying to get this baby basically out of me and <laughs> they're telling me to breathe. And I'm like, I can't breathe. Like it's coming out. And the nurse is basically trying to still like hold stuff. Like she has her hand in me trying to hold stuff because wow. they're not ready. Yet. And at some point I just like, it just keeps and all this pressure. And then there's a release and then my son just popped out. Of me. Oh my god! <laughs> well, the nurse still had her hand, like trying to hold me. I still had a catheter in, like nothing was ready. He just came out, and it like you just feel like I just felt like a release, like all the pain that I was feeling, it just went away. It was just crazy. It just popped onto the table, and when people ask me, I basically say my son delivered himself because right, like, no one was there, and it was just like the weirdest, quickest, fastest, craziest experience i probably was still in shock my husband was just standing there staring because before we had talked like are you gonna look are you not gonna look like you know what i mean okay <laughs> and he was looking obviously because he didn't expect the baby to come out right and he starts crying oh, and i'm just standing there like brandon like take a picture like do something, <laughs> like, do something like, <laughs> right because it was so fast they yeah. couldn't put the baby on me they usually do um like um skin to skin Mm. And because it came out so fast and they had to get, my doctor didn't even make it. They had to get the doctor on call right. after the fact to like sew me up and stuff. So I couldn't even hold him until he was cleaned up and they checked because they were worried about my bleedings. They thought possibly my placenta had ruptured, mm. which um, I don't think was the case, but I still don't 100% know why I was bleeding so much. But yeah, it was really, really quick for me once yeah. it started going. That reminds crazy. me, I was I was watching this um, YouTube video on this woman who she does like she's Korean and so she does these like mukbangs where she like makes food and like just tells story. And so she was telling her birth story. And it's so funny because it reminded me exactly of this. She had two kids in the same exact scenario where her, like her actual doctor didn't make 
her delivery because she ended up delivering so fast and she described it the same way she was like no this baby is coming <laughs> she's like yeah. I just felt his pressure and then she was like my second child literally the doctor was running into the room while my child was like <laughs> popping out of me and he literally like caught him in the air yeah. like, the baby was so funny out. and you <laughs> don't hear shit like that like you don't hear that no you see stuff on TV. Like, I always remember the episode of Martin where someone was having a baby and then, like, like flew across the room and he, like, caught it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what happened. It wasn't, he didn't fly across the room, but he, like, but he flew out of you. <laughs> it was wild. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Sorrel, you're before COVID. Like, we started hearing about COVID being a thing happening abroad in China, like, late December. People are, like, paying attention here, but not really. And then by January, it starts becoming more serious. And by March, we're in like, things start to shut down. And so for you, Sorrel, like, how were doctor visits, things like that leading up to, let's say, February, March? I think maybe his three months was, so around March 13th, we probably had our first, like, he had to get shots or whatever. Right. Um, but still, it wasn't as serious yet. Yeah. I've. I like to say, I feel like I was living in a bubble with him. I was on maternity leave. My husband had only taken off a week. Um, so it was just me at home with the baby by myself for the first three months. So, yeah, I knew, like, something was going on. But I was in such a bubble with having you a baby. You were kind of, like, quarantined already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I wasn't up on the news. Like, I'm taking care of this newborn. Right. You're uh, like, I'm trying to sleep yeah. like a in an hour of sleep. <laughs> exactly. He had his shots. There was uh, there were other babies and stuff there. Uh, I would say that's around March 13th. There wasn't anything that had really changed. Um, I went to Target. I remember going to Target that same week and seeing people with masks on. I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of weird. Like, I know I've heard about this, but people are taking this real serious. In the beginning, you're like, why are you walking around with masks? It's kind of weird. Um, but then I was like, oh, should I not have my baby out? Maybe this is more serious than, you know. I thought, because I had been yeah. living in a bubble, like I said. But once uh, my husband started, he took his paternity leave once my leave um, lapsed, which was probably a week before the actual lockdown. Then we noticed more of a change. And then when I had to go for his doctor's appointment, um, they were changing the way they were scheduling times everyone had to wear a mask to go see the doctor and they wouldn't keep people in the waiting room anymore. So the way they scheduled it was you would go right into a room with your baby and the doctor would see you there with the mask on, et cetera. Mm. But they weren't keeping everyone together and they put all the sick kids to be seen in the afternoon. And if you had a regular appointment with your child, you would be seen in the morning. So we talked before at the beginning, before we jumped in, um, about having this sense of your intuition being a guide for you. Is there anything that you felt like it was an internal shift where there was a part of me that was left behind before I became a mother to when I had gave birth? Or do you feel like it came with you, but you feel like it just transformed to a different level or different way? I've just been so caught up in everything. Maybe that's part of the thing. I had yeah. more time when it was just me and my husband for me to sit and sit in things and think about how I felt about it. And this is it. And now with my son being here, I just, 
I just haven't had the time to sit and think and be like, oh, how do I feel about this? And how do I feel about, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just, I kind of just am doing it. I'm just. You're kind uh, of like going through the yeah. motions and like taking it a day at a time, which is you're being present. Exactly. That's totally, totally yeah. acceptable. So That's with, what I'm trying trying to do. Yeah. Let's say like the nine months that you had while you were pregnant. Um, do you mm-hmm. feel like there's anything intuitively like in that connection between you and your child i definitely feel a connection to him um i feel that i don't know no matter what he does i don't get frustrated maybe that's because he's been inside of me for so long i <laughs> that i'm just like oh okay he's crying we're just gonna figure it out it's cool like um i there's definitely something there that's hard to explain um I do feel sometimes like, oh, am I doing this right? Like, is there something else I'm supposed to be feeling too? Like, I don't know. It It's hard to explain because everybody's journey is individual. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there is something there. I do feel like um, from being home with him and then you kind of learn what's going on. There's been times where he's fussy or upset. And my husband's like, I don't know. What should we do? Should we do this? Should we do that? And it, it, I'm kind of there too. Sometimes I feel like I don't know what to do either. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, let's try this. Let's try that. And a lot of times I feel like, oh, am I supposed to just inherently know what's going on? Because I birthed him and he's my child. But I think I still am like questioning things myself. Part of me is like, is that weird? Or am I just supposed to know? So maybe, no, I, think I don't that's know. Perfect. <laughs> I think it's perfect because, so when we were talking about earlier before we started diving in, yeah. um, this concept of shifting between the maiden and the mother archetype, um, I think what is perfect about how you're explaining it is that there is, that you are in a, mo- a moment of transition. So it would be odd if you just suddenly had this child and then all of a sudden you're like, I know exactly what to do. Like we're yeah. so in sync that I can understand his feeding schedule. And when he like lifts his arm, I know that means he wants water. <laughs> you don't know how many times I've read stuff that are like, I know my baby's cries. And when he cries like this, it means this. And when he cries like that, it means that. And I'm literally like, they all sound the same. Like, I don't, like, I don't know. Like, I feel yeah. like there is some validity to it, but I think the more important oh, yeah part of your story is like you're in transition so that's part of being in the transition and I think that's such an important thing to highlight for new mothers is that you are going to be in this space of like I'm still trying to navigate because remember we're talking about bringing yourself into a whole nother um, scenario that you've had no experience with before this is both of your first children so you have been the daughter you both have mothers but you've never been the mother there is going to be this period of transition. And some days you're going to feel uh, right on. You're going to feel that connection more intensely. And then some days you're going to be like, I'm completely clueless. But I think that as you progress and you go into it more, part of leaving that maiden archetype behind or that younger woman archetype behind is that you will trust more of your intuition as a mother. And that will give you more confidence to be like, nope, this is what I'm feeling. And that's what we're going with. I think that just comes from how much time you've spent in that mode in that in that role um yeah. and you guys are just starting out so it's totally totally chill Brent, <laughs> what about you so were you how did you feel about being pregnant how did you feel actually giving birth and um anything you felt shifted inside of you or anything of that nature now that your baby is here um being pregnant i feel like i enjoyed it more than i thought that i would when I got pregnant and as the pregnancy progressed, like once I was 
through the first trimester, it was, I think, easier than I thought it was going to be. The first trimester was very difficult. Girl, I was falling asleep <laughs> every different part of my house. <laughs> RJ was like, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I just need to lay down. I'm so tired. And then I did also have a lot of um, anxiety about making it to, I forget what week it is, where the percentage like the chance of you have miscarrying goes down mm. significantly. And I was really anxious just to get to, to like that make point, it to right. that point because I don't think we've mentioned this, but both Sorrel and I, you know, were in our mid thirties. I was 35 when I, or 34, when I found out I was pregnant turning 35. And once you're 35, it's considered, you know, a high risk mm-hmm. preg- pregnancy. And once I got to that point, and everything was still going as you know it should be and everything looked good and i was going into the different doctors appointments and she was saying everything was on track i felt like i could relax a lot more and just kind of enjoy it because i don't know if i'll ever mm-hmm. get pregnant again or if we're going to have another kid and so yeah i'd be you know talking to the belly playing the music like i feel like we got real connected over those um you know, over those months and the, especially in the second and third trimester. And then by the end, I'm just like, all right, brother, I need you. I need you out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Your, your hotel stay is up. (laughs) I would say that I'm really starting to feel the connection in the last few weeks. Like when we first brought him home, uh, he's, they're like potatoes. (laughs) Like they're they're going straight to sleep. (laughs) I forget how, long they're awake but it's like a very small amount of time in the day that they're even like have their eyes open so the first couple weeks I just felt like full-blown survival mode as I said earlier I was in a lot of pain from the birth and so no in those first few weeks I I didn't feel the connection that I thought that I was going to immediately but in these last few weeks when he's kind of starting to like show a personality and he has his social smiles and I'm like oh my god like this is this is my son and I just I feel it a lot more intensely in these last I'd say five weeks than I did the first three and yeah I I definitely feel a connection and I think that my playing him music in the womb has translated to uh his loving music on the outside because if we don't have music on he will turn up and start fussing and so we keep a record or some streaming service on and he'll be on the floor dancing and stuff and I'm like yes this is my baby. In terms of and I'm gonna answer this and let me know if this is what you mean by your question but I've felt like a lot more um, intentional about my time um, like, like being more intentional about my time since he's been born. In addition to my job, there's like all these other creative projects that I'm working on. And one of them was like this film script that I had been telling myself, oh, I have to finish the script before he's born because when he's born, it's going to be so hard to do anything. And I'm not going to get any of these, you know, side creative projects done. And it might even be difficult to get my full time, you know, work done. And I feel like that hasn't been the case at all. I've just, you just kind of, there's a shift in like 
my time management and some days I won't get to it and I'll be like, that's fine. Like tomorrow is a new day and you'll work on those projects, you know, at another time. But I don't know, he's made everything feel like so everything outside of him feels so low stakes. Like I would be like, I need to finish this by this year and I need to submit this to this fellowship. And now I'm like kind of taking my time with it a little bit more and feeling, I guess, like he's the most, he's the most important thing in my life. And then everything else is kind of like supplemental. Like if I finish these creative projects at the deadline that I set out to do them, great. And if it takes a little longer because I'm exhausted from playing with him all day, then also great. Like this is my new life. And I thought that I would struggle with that more when I was pregnant, like, damn, my time is not going to be just my time anymore. But I feel like I've transitioned into it better than I thought yeah. that I would. Like, yeah, it's, it's important that you noted that your priorities shift. And I think that is a perfect message. It's like, and I think that is a shift. I, I don't think you guys will have a ton of time to sit down necessarily and think about how you're transitioning through these things. But in talking through them, um, that is the transition. It's like when you you pivot and you realize like all the things that I was doing before, like they take a back seat and <laughs> he takes the front seat mm -hmm. and that's what's driving the car. That's a definite change that happens. And the shift, I think that's a definite mode of transition into that new archetype. So I think that's a good point. If, were there anything that you've wished you knew before giving birth, you know, just in general? Um, well, all the classes that I plan to take um got canceled <laughs> because of covid <laughs> so i didn't take any breastfeeding classes i didn't take any classes on the um like actual experience of giving birth pushing all of that i basically youtubed a lot i watched this like 13 part series that a midwife in arizona put up her birth class, her birth and labor class, thank God, because I really learned everything that I knew about it from watching it. But I had really wanted like RJ and I to go physically to a class and, you know, have that experience. I didn't take the newborn CPR class that I mm -hmm. wanted to take. And so when it came, like, I really felt, um, I felt ready for him to come and be done with being pregnant but I don't know that I felt like super knowledgeable about not just the what the labor experience was going to be like but everything that was going to come after it like the different things about breastfeeding the pain management and recovery process and my doctor is great she you know went over with me as much as she could but really like I said, those uh, late stage, I call them COVID checkups, were kind of in and out. Like she was getting me on the, some people didn't even get a chance to come in. They would have to do uh, telemedicine, oh which is so, I can't yeah. even imagine. Like I would have had to have, <laughs> have demanded to come in because you, I needed that time, like that face-to-face -face time with her. Yeah, and, that's to ask questions so yeah, she was and to be like, what, you know, is this okay? And like, what am I experiencing? Exactly. And so, yeah, we would have, she would do the checkup on the ultrasound and then I would literally just ask like a zillion questions. And my um, future sister-in-law, Shay, she got me this really great book that's by a black doula that I wish I had read before. It's mm. called Nurture and I've been reading it um, in the postpartum and it, it has really 
great information on pretty much every stage of this process. So basically, I wish I would have read that book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think your story definitely highlights um, some of the more nuanced things or like the, you know, overt things, actually, that are a result of everything that had to happen and how quickly it had to happen. And the fact that most of this experience happens in person. So we take for granted that um, you might not be able to go to a birthing class or a birthing studio. And what happens to that information when you can't do it in person, um, you know, and that was your plan. Um, Sorrel, anything for you? I know you had like a little bit, you were able to do a little bit more of that um, because you weren't really influenced. I I was able to go to classes and prepare myself and make my husband go to classes. thankful that, you know, um, I was able to get that information. Obviously, it's a lot different when you're going through it. I, I had taken a breastfeeding class, but I think, um, and I knew that it would be difficult, but I don't think I expected it to be as difficult as it was. And I've heard from a lot mm-hmm. of mothers who have been going through it. My um, brother's um, recently had a baby as well. And I know she had her own struggle with breastfeeding. It's it was definitely hard for me. Um, I knew going in, I wanted to breastfeed. I wanted the baby to have breast milk and that's what I wanted. But in the hospital, um, maybe the second day I wasn't, just wasn't producing enough and he wasn't latching well. And I had to start supplementing Mm -hmm. with formula from about day two. A lot of women's milk doesn't come in uh, for a few days or even a few weeks after you've had your child. Mm. Um, mostly what you're giving them is called colostrum, which is uh, like, a, I can't even explain it, but it's not milk as you would see that just flows through. But their stomachs are so small, they usually yeah. can live off of just those few drops of colostrum that come in, which is really good for them. But I just wasn't producing and he wasn't able to latch on. Um, and I knew that could possibly happen, but when it actually happens, it's pretty defeating of in the hospital because you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm a breastfeed. I see all these images of women breastfeeding. It's going to be so easy, but it wasn't for me. And um, having to give formula, I felt like, oh no, like, did I fail my baby? Blah, blah, blah. Like right. I know it's going to be fed either way, but it it was a shift for me, especially early on. Once I got, I had gotten help, they had a um, lactation consultant at the hospital and she was able to get him to latch on and other nurses were able to get me to get him to latch on. But once I got home, you're kind of like left alone and it just wasn't working and I was panicking, you know what I mean? Mm Because the more I could do, the more formula I would have to give him. And I think early on, I just was like, you know what, I've read up a lot more. I'm in Facebook groups and fed is best is what they say. It's no matter if it's from you or from formula, you know, however they're getting nutrition, as long as they're eating, it's fine. And we eventually worked through it. It's a long and it's a hard process. It was probably three weeks before, first of all, it stopped hurting every single time he would latch on to me. Um, And I know a lot of people have gone through stuff with like your nipples being, they're basically ruined. Mm -hmm. And it, it was really, it was really difficult. I had gone to the classes, but there's only so much they can tell you until you're going through it yourself. I just wish I knew more about that because I was pretty hard on myself in the beginning. But then I've realized all these mothers I've talked to, we all have like a similar journey and there are things you can do and worst come to worst, whatever your baby needs to eat, like that's what you're going to give your baby period. And that's why it's so important and why like I want to have these conversations because there's so many things that are not talked about. 
um, in general, just because as a, as women, like we're just expected to figure it out. You know, there's always this like, oh, your body naturally does this. So you should be doing this and you're fine. Um, but it's also totally natural that it may sometimes not. And so how do we have those discourses and conversations and make sure that you guys as mothers, um, first and foremost, are comfortable and feel safe to feel like you're not sure what's happening, but that that is actually totally normal. So it's really important to make sure that we normalize the fact that things will not always happen by the book and that that's okay. So I think that's a really great point. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you feel like you want to pass on to an expecting mother? Like that I'm still going through and that's uh, making sure that I don't compare where my child is at with other children his age. So mm, even though there's a wealth of information and I'm in these Facebook groups, I'm talking to other moms, if I have questions and things like that, my, my um, son Callum now, he's going to be seven months. There are some kids who are crawling, who are standing, who are doing this and that. And I'm, you know, we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for me to be like, oh, what am I doing? I need to follow this person who's a pediatric therapist and we need to do these skills. And, you know what I mean? We need to right, work on this and right. that that point but I think it's easy now because it's so accessible to see how other children are developing for you to compare and think that there's more that you need to do but I um it's important to know that each child kind of moves along at their own pace and it's okay where he is now we've been to the pediatrician it's not like he's delayed and actually he's on schedule so I would say just try not to put pressure on yourself from what's going on with other children your age because they just may be faster learners and that's mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, that's super important because in the age of information that we're in right now, and on one hand, it's really great because like for instance, with Brit not being able to go to in-person classes, it's amazing that she could go on YouTube and find information, but it is also equally important yeah. to understand the context of that information and to make sure that it doesn't overwhelm you. So Britt, anything from you? Yeah. I think just to kind of piggyback off of that is like not comparing, not just where, like how your baby's developing at, you know, to other children their age, but also like comparing yourself to other moms and like, oh, this mom, you know, breastfed or this mom, uh, you know, has a six pack of <laughs> right abs uh, two weeks <laughs> after she gave birth. And this mom's got five kids and she looks like she's got it all under control. Social media, you know, when it's not motherhood, social media is what people want you to see, you know, ultimately. And the motherhood social media is a whole nother beast. Right. <laughs> that, like, we could do a whole I think we're going to have to. <laughs> but um, it's really important to like not get caught up in that and, you know, just focus on your own journey. I had, you know, similar issues with uh, the whole nursing. I had planned on exclusive pumping and I had done all this research on it and I ended up like not producing enough milk and you know I'd be once you scroll once you follow one of these motherhood uh Instagrams Instagram starts course, feeding you other algorithm. motherhood mm -hmm. stuff <laughs> yeah and so you open up I'd be opening up Instagram and it's just like bam <laughs> there's a mom nursing her kid and she's not having any problem with it or this woman is an exclusive pumper and she's pumping like all these ounces of milk and not having any issues with it and it was 
pretty crucial for me in the first couple of weeks to be like, look, that's obviously is not going to be your testimony. Like you're not producing enough milk. I had like uh, meetings with the lactation consultant over, you know, video conference because we couldn't meet in person and have ended up, you know, mostly giving him formula. But like Sorrel was saying, fed is best. And that's a big thing on in these like motherhood forums and Instagram pages that I don't really feel like a lot of people talk about. Like I've felt more normal about it by talking to other moms that I know that have recently had babies and are, you know, having, who have had struggles with nursing. And I think it's just a lot more common than people realize than uh, certainly a lot more common than what social media would suggest. So yeah, I would say like, just be on your own schedule and time and plan with you as a mom and with your baby. Anything else you feel like you want to give a platform to that you think you're struggling with that you feel like you wish there was more exposure on? Because I want to give this, I want to make this platform available for people to voice what they think needs to have more stories. You know, I'm, I'm all about people sharing their stories. Um, this isn't something that I struggle with, but it's definitely something I want to call attention to. And, and that's just like the importance as Black women to have um, Black doctors and Black yes. Um I couldn't find a Black OB in my network because I couldn't find a Black doctor. I at least wanted a, you know, woman of color. And right. I feel like that made like such a huge difference. Like if I ever had any type of complication I feel like she and it's crazy that you that I would even have to say this that you know she was taking them seriously but if your listeners don't know it's very it's much more common for uh black women to die in childbirth like like it's disproportionate um to any other race and that's for a lot of the reasons why you know there there is uh systematic within the medical community mm-hmm. and so even though she wasn't a black woman I felt like it was really important to have a doctor who was a person of color and then when I gave birth I don't know where what it is about this hospital if it was its location but almost all of my nurses were um West Indian um it just made such a difference to have that be the person the energy you're around. yeah the energy yeah. they're you know when you're a first-time mom and I don't know if this was the same for you Sorel like they're giving you all of this advice and it's it just made a world of difference for that to be coming from black women and women of color and I just saw a, a woman who uh, had gone to the doctor complaining about high blood pressure they didn't do anything about it. She she was supposed to have a vaginal birth. It ended up being a C-section. And then her child, her daughter was born, but she died um, having her daughter. Yeah. And I think this was in Brooklyn and it's like within the last couple of weeks that this happened. So I'm not talking about yeah, years times. ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm talking about right now. Yeah. I so just I did a, I did a recent episode on this very topic with um, a labor and delivery nurse who was working um, uptown in Manhattan. But um, we were talking about this exact topic of uh, black mothers and the mortality rates of being pregnant um, and not, and how she in her experience as a nurse practitioner is seeing how these mothers are not being listened to. 
how these doctors are, you know, not to say that there aren't well-intentioned doctors, but that they have just come into a mode of seeing patients as numbers and they are quick to force a C-section onto someone. And Sorrel brought that up earlier in her, you know, um, recounting of her story. And so, yeah, it, it really is um, something to call attention to and to make sure that we are doing more work around protecting these women and making sure that these unnecessary deaths aren't continuing to happen. Um, and I know Sorrel, you mentioned you had a black doctor. Um, so how was that beneficial for you? Like, how do you feel much like how Britt was saying, it was just good to see yourself and the people that were surrounding you and having that energy with you. Um, like, let's give a little shout out to your doctor because you know, she was a black woman doctor. <laughs> Right. So I try to find black women, um, health professionals in general. I had started seeing another doctor in the town over from mine, but um, once I became pregnant, she didn't handle pregnancy. So I had started looking again and went to a doctor who was close by, thankfully, Dr. Muhammad. And she had actually added on another black female doctor to her practice, Dr. Maloney. So I could see either one of them, both black females. And it is really important to go to someone who looks like you. I knew about the mortality rate with black women. Um, I had brought that up to my husband. It's not something he obviously would have known about or thought about. Um, and I remember telling my mom, yeah, like in case something happens to me, you know, you're going to have to go and help Brandon. If something happens and he's left with the baby, you know, I want him Which to have is this insane. information. Is that not it's, an insane thing to have to think about? Like you, you know, are... and that, right, exactly. And people who don't have to think about that, that is part of your privilege. Right. Um, it's just something I like to be prepared, but it's something I knew was a possibility. I think I even had talked to Britt about it once in particular. Um, but it is something you think about as a woman of color and a black woman who is giving birth because it's regardless of your economic standing or how much money you make, you know, we're dying. And it's something that I prepared myself for and wanted my husband to be prepared for, even though, you know, it's not really something he wanted to talk about or think about, but in the back of my head, I, it's something I thought about. So it was important for me to go to a doctor of someone who looked my, like me, who would, you know, take on uh, anything or any concerns in, and take them seriously. Yeah. And a shout out again, like Britt said, to the nurses, because you see them mostly, there were a rotation of different nurses. I did go in as well on a Thursday and came out on a Sunday. And there were a number of different nurses who I saw and they were amazing. They were amazing, amazing people. And I had questions. My son was circumcised. I took out a video and, and watched the nurse clean and she broke it down for me. Like, this is how you have to do it. Cause you have no idea about these things. Yeah, They really are with you from beginning to end. Yes. You see your doctor, but when, once you have that baby and you're in that hospital, you're seeing these nurses and you become really close to them. I think when I, I hugged one on my way out and started tearing up, I was like, girl, I got to get out of here. Yeah. This is too much like, Can you come home with me? <laughs> Basically, like, and, you know, I had a lot of uh, minority nurses as well. One black nurse in particular, shout out to her because I asked for the little C-section band after I had the baby and she's, she smuggled one out to me. So like, <laughs> thank <laughs> you. you know I mean? Exactly. Like, <laughs> Anybody where you can see yourself, you just have kinship with them automatically. And it helped 100% and helped me feel very comfortable 
um, oh, what I had to amazing. get through. I'm so yeah. glad you both had those experiences because like I've never had a child and just in speaking with this, you know, um, this nurse practitioner who's also trained as a doula and, and hearing these heartbreaking stories, um, you know, she just recounted because she was on her rounds during the, the whole start of COVID. And she was just recounting like how many unnecessary deaths were happening then. So we're talking about deaths that are happening this year. And just like Britt was saying in her story that she just heard, it's not something that was happening in medieval times or like 50 years ago. This is stuff that's still happening right now. And yeah. um, so it's super important and um, I'm glad we, we brought it up. So did you guys, or have you guys seen any groups or support groups around getting information about this topic out to new expecting mothers? Like, have you found any social groups like that or, um, or no? No, I feel like it's mostly a thing that I became aware of before I got pregnant on like social media. Mm. Um, what Sorrell was saying about like your socioeconomic standing, not having, it doesn't matter, yeah. <laughs> you know what that is. Uh, Serena is like one of the big stories that I know that she almost died in childbirth. Beyonce had a similar story. Like it's, it really does not <laughs> matter who you are or how much money you make. Um, it's, it's an epidemic. Yeah. I do also think that, you know, in interviewing the doulas that I spoke to, um, I think having doulas and midwives uh, coming back into the fold more prominently is something that's going to really be helpful to women of color who are going through pregnancy because they are really there to fully support um, the mother in all aspects of the birthing process and being pregnant. Yeah. And so I think that even just having someone to voice that concern to that can then help you find those resources is going to be extremely important. Um, so I'm really glad that, you know, at least that work is kind of coming back around and getting more highlighted. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the joys. I mean, I, the one thing I could think about in terms of quarantining and motherhood is like, I remember Sorrel when you were like, oh my God, my maternity leave is about to be up. And now we're all working from home. Yeah. So, so you've got that time, that extension of time um, just by circumstance. So I think that's one silver lining. But um, how is it being, I mean, it has to be so much nicer to almost in a way be forced to be contained with your newborns. <laughs> so how have you guys been enjoying that time? And what are some of the silver linings that you've, you've come out of quarantine with in terms of being a new mom? So I think for me, um, so now, like I said, my son is going to be seven months. So the first three months I was on maternity leave, it was fine. Then COVID hit, I found out I would be home. And my husband was always going to take three months after because we mm. wanted him to have someone with him for six months. So yeah, it worked out wonderfully i mean now it's covid so right. <laughs> but so now it's like um, another ball game <laughs> right so it went from me being with him 24 7 and him relying on solely me to now my husband being home i'm sitting at a computer seeing my husband with my son who he's now trying to kind of learn because like brit said in the beginning they're sleeping a lot. So when my husband would come home from work, it would be time for the baby to go to bed. So he was only really seeing him on the weekends and I was mostly the main caretaker. So it was kind of a transition too for both of us, me kind of stepping back because I had to get back to work and my husband having to step up and be the main caretaker while I was working. So that was a transition. 
And then now my husband just started back at work again. We're both working from home. And um, I went through the process, or we did, of having to discuss whether we're going to keep the baby at home while we're both trying to work or putting him in daycare. And mm. I don't know if people know, but daycare around these parts <laughs> is very competitive. It's very hard to get your kid into a decently priced safe, nice, clean daycare um, easily. But back in February, I had started looking at daycares um, for my son and we weren't even going to put him into daycare until I think June or May. Um, and some were booked until July, booked until September. One, you still can't get in until next year. Mm, so perfect. yeah, <laughs> either way, we would have, we would be paying something or holding a place for him. Um, we ultimately made the decision that he would need to go to daycare there were a few days where we were both working and we had my son, my um, husband is basically tied to a, his desk during the workday. So it was me getting up, trying to entertain my son. Cause now he's six, seven months. He's not just going to sleep anymore. He's like, Hey, like what's going on here? Like somebody pay attention to me. Like I'm bored. I don't want to sit here anymore. <laughs> and um, but it was, it was nearly impossible for me to kind of juggle working and taking care of my son how I would want to take care of him. And I knew that it was better for him, for him to get that more attention. He gets more attention in daycare. He's essentially happier. He comes home happy. He likes the people who are there. I like the place I had looked at it, you know, back in February before COVID. And I know it was a difficult, but it was a great decision because he just wouldn't have gotten the level of care while I'm trying to work and just shuffling him around from like a mama to a baby swing to this, that, and the other, you know what I mean? Well, yes, I'm yes. trying to do that. And I did have guilt around that. And I still do have some guilt, but even before putting him in the day before I was like crying, I cried to my mom, I'm holding him crying. Like, I'm like, Oh no, like I've been with you for six months, even more than that, you were inside of me. And now I'm kind of like, you know, I felt like, was I failing as a mom? Um, but these mom groups came into play because I saw other moms had gone through the same thing. And now I'm glad I did it. And I don't feel regret um, about it because the joy of it is when I pick my son up and see him and know that he's happy and that someone's been paying attention to him all day and he's learning new skills and, you know, seeing him learn new things is what makes me happy. That's, yeah. you know, seeing him come into his own personality and, you know, him, becoming his own little person going from like not really know what's going on till to know like oh like this is my mom and I like this and I don't like that that's what makes me happy it's just really nice to see him grow up kind of like in front of your eyes it's crazy from birth to now how much they fit in in that small amount of time it's cool that you brought up that whole point of um, choosing to ultimately go back to daycare because I remember reading, you know, there's this all this talk about like, how do we safely reintegrate going back into schools yeah. and, and that sort of stuff and the safety around that topic. Right. And, you know, I have to admit, like, I never really thought about it from that perspective. I mean, I'm not a parent, so I wouldn't. But, you know, we're all concerned about the safety of the kids and how they do it. And we all, obviously will always be but there is something to be said for like the younger kids. I was reading an article, I think it was in the Times, that was saying like there has to be a 
priority given to getting the younger children into daycare and back into preschool and those early formative years of learning, because if they don't, the consequences are going to be devastating. And you brought up a perfect point. Get into like pre-K and kindergarten and first grade and that sort of stuff. These are like actual formative years where it's like, if you don't, if you miss these markers, you are really putting your child at risk for being behind um, significantly. So that was a, a big reason too, why we were so hesitant and especially me, because I was scared COVID obviously. Um, like, why am I going to subject, you know, possibly expose my child to something like this? But I got to the point where our daycare, they took uh, safety measures where all the staff are wearing masks, all kids to and over are wearing masks. Um, they're keeping all the kids into in their separate rooms. So they're not socializing, um, across rooms and the teachers are where they need to be. They're checking the kids and the um, staff temperatures at the door. So every day my son's temperature is checked. They're asking me questions. Have I been around anybody who's exposed any fever medication and parents aren't allowed in the building at all. Uh So that was another hard part for me too. And it still is difficult because I'm literally just handing my child off to someone and going about my business. Right. I'm going to tell you, it's not easy and it hasn't been an easy thing. I'm relying very heavily on these people and I probably want more information. Like, I'm like, I need more. Like, what is he doing? What's going on? Cause I didn't get to walk him into the building. My husband and I had to basically walk to the door, have him checked. And also because he, He's there's also something to be said about socialization for children during yeah. the COVID time. He's yeah. not used to being around other people. So yeah. and he's not yeah. used to being outside of these four walls. Yeah, we'll go to the park. But, you know, he's only used to this is his world. So they don't also when you hand him off, they don't want you to sit there and dilly dally because your kid's going to cry. I'm handing my child off to somebody he doesn't know. Yeah. He's only been held by me or, you know, like close immediate family for these past how long. So it's all these factors coming into play, but I know that they're professionals. I know I had seen them before COVID and I know there's these list of, you know, rules and things that they're trying to follow. And, and I have to, I just have to trust that. Yeah. At I, a certain point. I have no like, choice. Yeah. Yeah. We have to work. Like, like I have, have to, to work. Oh my God. <laughs> but I have yeah, to admit, like in hearing both of you guys talk about this, like, Ah, I know, like, my friends are some strong-ass people, I have to say. Like, you know, like, for, um, just in general, for any person to go through this type of situation, go through this journey, and then also have to deal with the craziness that 2020 has been and this pandemic, like, you guys, you know, if no one's telling you, you need to take a moment and pat yourself on the back because you're doing extremely well. And, you know, we always talk about how, like, there is no, like, I mean, really, there is nothing that's going to tell you step by step what to expect. And a lot of it does have to come down to just trusting in yourself and, and moving in faith. But um, we would not have ever been able to predict that we would also be dealing with a pandemic at the same time. So we're going to end on um, your time capsules. So, yeah. So, Britt, if you want to start, if you feel like, you know, like a thought you want them to remember and if they're looking back in this and they're like, what the fuck happened? And you're just like, listen, <laughs> like we're here, but you're going to be fine. Say, um, I would tell him that 
this time, though it has obviously been crazy for all the reasons that we have cited <laughs> from dropping a child off at daycare and not being able to go inside the daycare to giving birth to him and uh, him not being able to see his grandmothers for six weeks. Um, there has been a lot of good, I feel like, um, me and my husband, obviously we've always been close, we're married, but I've really felt just like we have ascended to another level of partnership oh, that's <laughs> because great. I didn't have any, anybody else. And he is like, really took up the space of my mom and my dad and his mom and my aunts who would have been there. Like, and he filled it beautifully without like, ever complaining or, you know, making me feel like a burden. Not that he should, but I've heard horror stories from, you know, other women about this uh, time in their lives, like kind of moving their partnership away and or coming in between their partnership, whether that's just because they've been stuck in the house with the same person or because of, you know, the whole raising a kid thing during this time or some combination of, of the two. But I just feel like from <laughs> when we pulled up to the hospital, like we were just like on this mission together of like us against the world. And that's like carried on from the hospital to the house, you know, we don't, we haven't like set, I've, like I said, been on leave ever since I had him and RJ has been home and, but we haven't like created a set schedule. It's just like, you know, when it looks like he might need a break, like I step in and when it looks like I need a break, he steps in and yeah, like I would tell Prince this time has, you know, really, really, affirmed the fact that I married the right person and fell in love with the right person oh. and that his dad is an amazing dad. Like hearing him talk to talk to Prince, it's like my favorite thing in the world. Sometimes I'll just like be in the corner like a creep conversations. <laughs> to kind of piggyback off of that, the word I would say to Prince is just like he's so loved. Like he'll know eventually one day but like our community our village of friends and family on both sides have really like stepped up and helped us in any way that they could you you guys know i had to cancel my shower but trust me we have literally every piece of baby gear or clothing we need because our family sent it to us and now that we're starting to be able to slowly introduce family um to prints like people i have a like this long ass list of people that want to babysit so that we could have like a date night or go on vacation like people his family and his village just adore him and um that will continue throughout his entire life but i want him to know that before he ever developed a personality uh so many people love him so so much all right sorel don't cry but it's on to you <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yes, our strong Capricorn. <laughs> We're like, don't cry. <laughs> I know. Um, oh my gosh. I don't know. It's so difficult. Like, there's so many things that I would want to tell him. I guess in this time that, you know, that he can do anything. Like, who expected us to be where we are now? Um, so many things that I like to plan and obviously COVID and everything that's going on isn't one of them. And parenthood 
in itself isn't something that you can plan for. So I think I would tell him, take some of the go with the flow um, attitude that your father has <laughs> because, um, and just, you know, do, do what you want to do, set something for yourself and feel like you can achieve it no matter what, because I didn't expect us to get through, you know, this whole daycare thing, which is the latest thing for me and, and being anxious about it and upset. And it ended up being one of the best things for him and for us. And just, if you, you know, if you want to do something, you set your mind to it and you can a hundred percent do it and you'll figure out a way and, you know, just put your all into anything. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do something and don't be scared because if I can help you or if any one of your many aunts or, you know, <laughs> my Syracuse family and et cetera, someone's always going to be there for you no matter what, even if it's not me, there's someone who will be able to back you and anything yeah. that you want, like you've got it because there's a whole team, like Britt said, there's a team around you of people who just want to help. And, you know, I'll pat myself on the back for having, amazing family and friends and surrounding myself with people who I can count on a hundred percent. And these people that extends to, to his little life as well. And <laughs> on that note, um, I also want to make sure that we extend it back to you both. Like one of my main reasons for even deciding to do an episode like this is because I know a lot of mothers, even though I'm not a mother, um, who have struggled with their journey of becoming a mother and not wanting to lose their identity, have had to go against the grain of what the expected role of what mothership should look like and how you should parent and, and all of those things. And I think it's really important that at the end of the day that you guys individually as women feel supported as mothers, um, that you are going to go on to continue to do all the things that you've, you've dreamt of doing in completely new ways because you have a completely new set of priorities in your life, but um, mm -hmm. that it's important for us all to have space for mothers to come to and just be like, if you want to talk about anything or if you want to just share your story and make another mother feel um, seen and understood that her journey may not seem perfect, but it is perfect for her because it's her journey. And also to understand that there are resources out there. Um, so ask the questions and lean on people, especially as black women, we're least likely to reach out for help or ask for help. And we're the most likely to be seen as people who should be able to figure it out on their own and you know are left to their own devices. So I think it's also yeah. extremely important for us as a group to make sure that we're reaching out to those people when we need it. And um, to not feel like we have to live under this facade of, I have to be this strong, independent person. I have to keep up this image. In sharing your stories, the listeners, I know I am myself in awe of both of you. And I think that, you know, you guys are extremely strong women. So I can't wait to see how this journey like continues for you both. But Thank you so much for, for talking with me today. And um, I'm sure we'll have you guys both back on because we, we have so much more to talk about. Thank Love you all. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. That was a long one, so I'll keep it brief. Thanks so much to Sorel and Britt for joining me on this convo. I love both of you so much. We'll have to have them back to talk more about their ongoing journeys. If you found something here that resonated, please share it with a friend. 
If you want to support this offering, please give the pod a five-star review on iTunes. I'm going to leave all of the details from the books we mentioned to how you can check out and support both Brittany and Sorrell in the show notes of this episode. I hope that you are all continuing to stay safe and healthy. Again, as always, if you'd like to share your story or if you have an idea for a future topic, send me a message at hello at thehighvibealchemist.com. Thanks again and bye for now.